Right, uh, hello and welcome once again to Hockey the Podcast. It's your favorite podcast to do with hockey in South Africa and beyond. Well, uh, we have finally seen some light at the end of the tunnel. It looks as if sport is slowly returning. It is slow, but it's happening, thankfully. Of course, that includes hockey. But uh, yeah, we're not out of the woods just yet. But uh, surely it does seem a, a lot more optimistic, which is great news for all concerned. I'm Derek Alberts, and as always, I'm joined by the main man, Tyron Jabu Barnard. How are you, Ty? Yeah, good day, good afternoon, actually. Not often that we have recorded in the afternoons, but it's uh, quite nice. Um, pre-warning that I do have a three-and-a-half-year-old son running around, so <laughs> you may have a bit of editing to do if uh, he finds me. Um but yeah, it's, it's obviously the lockdown in current state is starting to end. We're starting to talk about uh, sport returning. Hockey is a contact sport and at present, we don't know when that uh, timescale is exactly when, when hockey will return. But they're starting to look like a light at the end of the tunnel, as you put it. Of course, there was definitely a light during lockdown and uh, that was our lockdown sports quiz. Yeah, really, it's it's been so popular. And uh, I don't mind singing our own praises because a lot of other people have, which has been really nice to see. And we've had so many sporting superstars, as we like to call them, which they are, join us uh, every single Tuesday evening. And uh, we've got our loyal faithful who've been join, joining us. And uh, as we record this, it's the morning after the night before, and it was our biggest lockdown sports quiz yet where we had over uh, 50 people taking part. We had sporting stars from uh, around uh, the country across all matters of sport, plenty from the hockey fraternity, uh, Jess Larden. Uh, we had uh, Tegan to name but a few. And then, of course, we had uh, from EFC, the likes of Gareth McClellan. We had uh, rugby in a former Springbok in Whalen Murray. Brett Cummings from Dakar. Yeah, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and uh, the great thing is as we know, is that we've also broadened our horizon, so to speak, and uh, we've introduced the Lockdown Sports Quiz Live edition. So that takes place every Thursday with myself and Ty, as always. But in this case, we do broadcast it out live, and people can watch, and they can see us taking on a uh, sporting superstar uh, and a teammate. And uh, the very opening edition saw Rassi van der Dissen and his good mate Chris taking the challenge, and uh, yeah, next up, we've got Warren Whiteley, former Springbok captain. And uh, Ty, I love the name that you coined uh, ahead of our Lockdown Sports Quiz Live edition. Yeah, of course, it was uh, the quiz to view as, uh, as uh, so-called. Uh, I, I suppose the accountant in me does have a creative <laughs> side at times. Uh, hopefully not when I'm doing somebody's books. But um, yeah, the quiz to view, and I think it's exactly what it is. It is a quiz, but it's an interview to really get down and uh, chat to know the person but also you know not just a normal interview you can see that on instagram live from everybody you can see it on on youtube from everybody so what can we do that's a bit different and that's let's test your knowledge and let's build a leaderboard like a top gear to um to see how these sports stars do against each other and it's uh, been an absolutely astoundingly great uh, response so far from from people yeah it really has been amazing to see so uh, a big thank you to all involved uh, funny enough someone actually said to me 
that why didn't we call it an interquiz if we're combining words? And yeah, that doesn't quite have the same effect or, or tell the, the entire story. <laughs> so it looks like a, nah, a nah, quiz I like, between I like provinces. I like uh, 100%. Well done. Uh, you, you, you smacked it out the park. Okay, speaking of quizzes, we're going to put a, a very special man uh, in the hot seat today, right at the end though, and that will be our one question quiz. But uh, apart from that, the entire thing is a big mammoth meaty interview with a very special guest, Ty. Yeah, look, when, when we talk about hockey, obviously we, we've got the players that uh, are the big names. We've had Justin Reed Ross, we've had Pity Kutsia, Austin Smith, Marsha Cox. So we've got the big names in the players. We've had uh, Peter Wright come and uh, represent the umpires, but of course, we are going to arguably the biggest name in South African hockey umpiring history and and actually right up there with South African history. He's the umpired Olympic Game Finals, World Cup Finals, more than 200 test matches. It is uh, the man that you know more from a cricket point of view, but that I know from a hockey point of view. It is uh, John Wright. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for the, for the uh, interview or the announcement. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So, John, uh, we, we start off with the fact that we did have your brother, Peter, uh, a few episodes back, about uh, seven or eight episodes back. And, and Peter was absolutely glowing of, in his praise of you and how, how much you helped him learn uh, his own art as an umpire. And, of course, building up towards Rio, where he's getting the chance to, to follow an Olympic dream. If there was a bit of advice that you could give Peter towards the Olympics and also to young aspiring umpires towards the Olympics, what would it be? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, again, it's it's wonderful words that, that Peter has mentioned. And I mean, I think obviously hockey and the hockey umpiring is, is really in our family blood. So for him to, to roll on and, and follow on what I've been able to achieve is really fantastic from, our, uh, from a personal perspective for Peter and, and from a family perspective. It's outstanding. Look, I think one thing about the Olympics is it's way different to any other event and, and most definitely any other hockey event. And it's once in a lifetime. I mean, many athletes, uh, officials, technical officials never get the opportunity to, to be involved in an Olympic game. So it's a fantastic opportunity. And I think if, you, if you're able to get to an Olympic game, you've done exceptionally well. So um, it's going to be a different, uh, totally different scenario from what and a normal Olympics would have been. Uh, with this one, I think for the first time ever being postponed by, by a year. So Tokyo, I think will be, I think it'll be a fantastic Olympic Games. I'm sure the Japanese, if the Rugby World Cup has anything to go by, will be on top of their game for the Olympics. So I'm sure it's, it's a great experience waiting for all the officials and teams, players, etc. Um, come June or July 2021. And, and I want to stick with Olympics because uh, you have been to the Olympics a few times in 2008, or sorry, all the way back in 2000, you had your first Olympic appearance in, in Sydney. In 2004, you went to Greece. In 2008, you were the reserve umpire in the final, in the gold medal match. Um, so knowing that, how, how great was it to, in 2016, be given the gold medal match? Uh, look, it's, it's a, firstly, it's a massive honor. Um, and, and secondly, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic achievement, I suppose, if, if, if I have to look back. 
Yeah, so, so my philosophy really with regards to umpiring was you've been appointed to a tournament for a specific reason. You've got to get out there and umpire to the best of your ability, no matter what names you end up getting. And I think if you go with that kind of approach and uh, you're well enough prepared, uh, you know, whatever comes your way comes your way and, and get out on the field and, and do it. So being able to umpire in, in Rio, the final, I did the final in, in Athens as well, um, yeah, it was a fantastic opportunity for me, a fantastic achievement, I suppose, and and one that I'm very grateful for. Not many guys get the opportunity to umpire at those tournaments, let alone um, at the umpire the final. Yeah, I think if we had to put it down to percentage, uh, you're looking at an extremely low percentage of people that are able to go to the Olympics firstly as a spectator. Then you go into a smaller group of people, of, of those that are able to compete, then even smaller, those that are able to come compete or uh, officiate in a final of any event. So yeah, you, you form a very, very small sum of, uh, of really, really impressive and privileged folk. And, and I say privileged because it's, it's amazing to have done that. But of course, you've worked hard to get there. But the question has to be asked, how, uh, which, which was your favorite? Cool. <laughs> Favorite Olympics wise, probably Rio was 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 very good. Uh, I, I enjoyed that, and and I think Rio was special in, in many ways because I'd had a, an absolutely terrific time in London in uh, 2012, where I mean London should have been the one of the pinnacle uh, events or tournaments for me, and and I bombed out, and I think the tournament wasn't wasn't that for from, and I'm talking generally now from an outside perspective. There are a number of factors that I think contributed to that. But, you know, every Olympics is, is a special event. Um, every Olympics is a different event. Uh, no one is, is the same. I mean, when we arrived in Athens and when we left Athens, I think they were still trying to complete some of the stadia. So, you know, it, it really differs. Beijing was fantastic as well. And when, when I think back to 2000, when I really started out at the Olympic Games, I mean, if, if I, you know, I suppose like anything in life, if I knew now what I, but I should have known then. It would have been a totally different event as well. But nevertheless, I suppose uh, Sydney was, was for me a real eye-opener to see what the Olympics is about and, and how much, you know, hype and activity flows around the Olympics. It's, it's something extraordinary. Why, why do you say that, John? If, if you knew things back then, it would have been a very different experience? What, what do you think you could have learned? Well, I learned a hell of a lot, most definitely. But from an umpiring perspective, I think I was very grieved. And, uh, you know, if you, if you go into that, into that field of umpiring, I think you've got to have all your ducks in a row. And I, I suppose in hindsight, I'd really probably only been umpiring internationally for about four or five years. So, you know, and, and, and from an umpiring perspective, if you are able to do between eight and ten games a year, I think you've done fairly well. So uh, if you do your calculations, I was on about 30, 40 games having gone, uh, gone into, into Sydney. So, Really, very, very inexperienced. Um, yeah, and, and it makes for, <laughs> makes for interesting times. And that's why, probably why I say I was very green at the time. Yeah, John, I mean, obviously you then also, uh, I mean, five Olympic Games. You also got World Cups and uh, a couple of World Cup finals under your belt. I mean, in terms of pedigree, what, what is the, the top, top, top achievement? Um, in terms of appointments that uh, an international hockey umpire can get, would it would it be World Cup? Would it be Olympics? Or how do how do you, the umpires view the two tournaments? 
Yeah, so um, well, that's a very interesting question because if, if you're talking from a, a hockey family perspective, I mean, uh, a hockey World Cup is is the, the absolute ultimate. I mean, everyone wants to go to, to a hockey World Cup. So, and and if you and if you think it's like a tournament being hosted in Europe or in the Netherlands, that is the, the real pinnacle for anyone. But the Olympics is just something different. It's all all the sports. It's all the hype. It's all the activity that's going on. Um, and and it it just brings something different. There's so much more pressure when you're getting to Olympics from a from an officiating or umpiring perspective. But similarly, when you had a World Cup, there's also pressure on there. So um, yeah, it's, it's I think it's close between an Olympics and a World Cup. Um, Olympics probably uh, probably tips it. But again, it's dependent on, on in which country it's being hosted. And from a hockey perspective, uh, if there's hockey support, like London was fantastic. The crowds were exceptional. Sydney was, was fantastic. Beijing was a little bit different because obviously hockey is not that big a sport in, in, in China. And uh, the same could be said about Athens or, or Greece. And then obviously uh, Rio, um, where the crowds picked up because obviously there were a lot of South Americans that aroused uh, towards the, the latter end of the tournament. So it did improve from a spectator perspective. John? John, uh, sorry, Dave, but uh, John, I was I was watching an interview the other day with uh, FH Empires with uh, Ali Kirk uh, from Ireland, and and she was saying that uh, you know it's amazing as an umpire you can go into a stadium with fourteen thousand people and you can zone them out, but the people you always seem to hear are the coaches and the bench. Um, did you have a preferable side where you maybe stood further away from the bench or next to it or, and uh, further to that, did the crowd ever affect you as an umpire or were you able to completely zone them out? Yeah, it's an interesting comment because um, despite the, the thousands that may be in, in the stadium, you, you usually, if you have a look at the, the crowd, you can never ever picture anyone. You can't ever see any. You definitely haven't. I didn't have a preference at all. Um, whether I used to really try and get the, my co-umpire to, to decide which side he wanted because I wanted him to be at ease. I mean, I thought with my experience and having been around the block, I could, you know, adapt to anything and, and just get out and, and umpire. So the side didn't really, didn't really worry me at all. So uh, I didn't have a preference. I see the bigger crowds because I think it's great to see to play in front of a, a big crowd, but I had no preference as to which side um, which side uh, I chose. Um, you know, a lot of umpires will, will battle with, with the coaches always in the ears or the players always in the ears. And I suppose as time goes along, you get a little bit more experienced. And, uh, you know, what they gave up, I was able to give back. But uh, not many. I wouldn't I wouldn't put that down as a, as a, as a good point for any umpire to sit on just the coaches and, uh, and players on the side. It's not really clever. John... We spoke to your brother a couple of weeks ago, and Ty posed a very good question to him. I'm going to do the same to you. Having achieved what you managed to achieve uh, when it comes to officiating, it's amazing how South Africa has been able to churn out absolutely world-class officials across sporting codes. I mean, we look at uh, referees who've refereed Rugby World Cup finals. Uh, Maria Rasmus did uh, in the final of the Cricket World Cup. Uh, to name but a few. And then, of course, we've got the likes of you doing the same in hockey. Why do you think that is? I mean, you could probably put it down to the fact that we're a sport-loving nation as well and that we also churn out world-class sports personalities. But South Africa, when it comes to administration, 
uh, from an official point of view, uh, we are highly expect, uh, respected the world over. And uh, yeah, is it just something in our genes, in our blood, or, or is there more to it? It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting question, and, and I can't actually put my finger on it. I think that uh, within South African uh, spheres, obviously we're a sport-loving nation, not many people want to become officials uh, and umpires or referees. So I think if you end up making it to and, and to the top, I think you've done exceptionally well because it's it's not a well from a hockey perspective. There's absolutely no money in it, so you cannot retire on it. But uh, I, I think there's a sense of accomplishment and achievement, and I think that comes from the solid groundwork that we that we have in place. And if you look at uh, you've mentioned uh, uh, rugby and cricket as well, and if you look at the performances of of a person like Maria Erasmus, I mean we've had we've had many a good umpire cricket umpire. You, you look at rugby-wise, um, uh, Jabez, um, Kaplan, uh, Watson, you can you can rattle them off. I just think our our groundwork is, is very good. I think we have good mentors and coaches um, that are offering us support and guidance. And then, then, you know, most of the time, I think the quality of, of the, the sport, whatever it be, hockey, whatever, is of a relatively good uh, standard. So... You know, in order to have a good game on the field, you need to have good officials. And maybe that's where it goes glove in hand um, and why we get such such good officials um, officiating on, on the international scene or circuit. It's a good point you make, though, in terms of people signing up to be referees and umpires and uh, officials because it's a thankless job. I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. We know the criticism that umpires and referees get daily uh, across the sporting codes. And if you do a good job, it's never mentioned. And people say, well, that's what you're there to do. If you do a bad job or if you make a mistake, then obviously it's as if the world's ended. Um, so you've got to have a very, very thick skin to become uh, an official. And, and yeah, and I think if, if, you, if you do probably dedicate yourself to that role you do go all in. Well, generally, uh, you'd expect to go all in, and I think that has been the case with uh, our, our international representatives when it comes to uh, officials. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more that you've got to have a thick skin and you've got to be stupid because um, <laughs> to, to go and officiate at, at, at that level, you know, my philosophy as well from, an, from a hockey umpiring perspective, everyone used to say to me, before we go, we don't enjoy it. And I, and I used to say to myself, well, I don't know where you're coming from with the enjoyment perspective. People come and say, oh, that was great. Did you enjoy it? I never, ever enjoyed umpiring a, an international game, but I got a lot of satisfaction post the game when we were able to come out fairly unscathed. And when probably the, te- the right team won, um, and, and, you know, there were not many incidents in the game. That's when I got my satisfaction and, and uh, sense of accomplishment. But to say that, did I enjoy umpiring X game or Y game? No, I didn't because we're under pressure all the time. Uh, we're under the microscope, as you say. The spectators are, are watching. I think hockey has become such a fantastic game for TV at the moment. And the umpires are critical in, in the success and, and the enjoyment from a spectator perspective and from the player's perspective. That if the umpires start, start throwing uh, their weight around and making a hash of it, they're just, they're just ruining the, the spectacle that, that the game should be. So um, from that perspective, we're always under pressure when you're officiating. So 
um, like I say, my sense of accomplishment and achievement is really post the game when I could sit back afterwards and say, okay, uh, you know, I didn't have, to, didn't have to run for the border with my passport in my back pocket, but uh, yeah, okay, you know, and the game, the game is better for our performances that, that we put in uh, during the match. I'll never forget chatting to Yako Paper, rugby referee, and uh, I forget the exact numbers, and uh, yeah, I'm going to thumb suck it, but the, I know that the overall um, in, <laughs> uh, intention, what he was trying to get across, but they, they ruled something like in, in any rugby match across 80 minutes, someone, a referee will make around 800 decisions. Now, that's obviously not physical blowing the whistle. That's computing and seeing everything that happens. So uh, I forget the exact numbers, but it was a large amount. And uh, World Rugby allows something like 15 mistakes in those 800 decisions. I mean, it's a ridiculous, um, uh, it's a tiny portion in which you can err. And and I, I, I don't know what the numbers are like in hockey. I can imagine they're very similar. And also, I reckon that... Uh, when it comes to being afforded the ability to make mistakes, again, uh, there's very, very little leeway. Yeah, correct. And and uh, from a hockey, as as with any uh, a top sport now in, in the world, there's television and there's review systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're always under the microscope, um, and 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 they're monitoring uh, uh, much to, to probably many people's. Um, uh, many people not quite understanding. There is a, uh, a system where, whereby uh, umpires are monitored. So, you know, you're always under the microscope. Chances of, of making a mistake are high, especially in hockey currently with, with the speed at which the ball travels, the equipment, the skills of the players and the physique of the players. is something unreal. I mean, the development that hockey is and the players have taken over the last 10 to 15 years has been astronomical. So you're right, Derek, there's, there's a hell of a lot going on in the game. Um, and, and I think that's why, from an umpiring perspective, you've really got to be on top of your game, both physically, mentally, I think, is it's something we underestimate far too often from an umpiring perspective. Um, and if you haven't got all your ducks in a row, you're in for a hard time because um, the game has, has and is evolving almost on a daily basis at the moment. John, you... Uh you umpired international hockey for nearly 20 years and, and probably had one of the coolest fairy tale endings. Uh, your final game at home in Johannesburg. Well, not quite at home in Johannesburg, but at home in South Africa in Johannesburg. The World League semi final, a final against Belgium and Germany, and you got to umpire it alongside your brother. I mean, that must go out as a pretty, pretty damn cool way of ending your international hockey umpiring career. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, especially when you consider that Peter wasn't supposed to umpire in Johannesburg um, at, at that specific tournament. He was supposed to go somewhere else. So it was a fantastic uh, way to end. I mean, I hadn't done a major a tournament in South Africa, uh, mm-hmm. FIH tournament in South Africa, so it was, it was nice. I mean, usually when, when we are to umpire, we're off to all parts of the world, so away from the family and things like that. So it was, it was fantastic. So fantastic that Peter and I got to, to umpire the final, which was really totally unexpected. Um, and, you know, it, it really highlighted um, about really where I was in, in my career, but it was great um, that Peter got the acknowledgement that he, that he deserves as well. Um, he's been doing it for a long while as well and maybe always lived in, in a bit of a shadow. 
which is a little bit unfair, but uh, nevertheless, I suppose that's what it, it, it is what it is, and a great opportunity for him as well. To also umpire uh, in front of, uh, as you say, a home crowd in, in South Africa, and a, and a great tournament, fantastic teams. Yeah, it was it was exceptional. Well, and and not long after that, you were then awarded the FIH Umpire of the Year. Um, you know, I, I mean, I know many many international sportsmen, and and that's where you'd be classified as a, a sportsman, a sports official. Um, they're not about the individual awards, but it must have been quite a nice, uh, quite a nice doff of the cap to you to say, "Listen, you've been recognised as the best umpire in the world." Yeah, it was it was a great moment as well, and something that I'll really treasure for a long, long time um, to be awarded that. Because, uh, from what I understand, I think the, the FIH uh, Umpire of the Year is awarded um, or adjudicated by your fellow umpire. So. It, it was very special and, and a real privilege to be able to, to win that award. And, uh, yeah, something that I'm, I'm really pleased that I was able to achieve uh, in, my, in my umpiring career. And uh, the other award that you received was, of course, the Golden Whistle Award when you got to 100 test caps. You were also only the fourth person to get to 200 test caps. Did they give you anything special for that? And, and if they did, is it up somewhere at home where, where it's a constant mm-hmm. reminder? I, I did get something, and I think it was a, a, a medal, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's not, I'm afraid, up anywhere at the moment. I, lockdown has given me the opportunity to do a hell of a lot of DIY around the house. But that is one thing that I haven't <laughs> put up uh, anywhere. We've been working on the bar area, so maybe it should go up there. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, to, I think to, to umpire one international game is a massive achievement. Uh, again, you know, I was very, very lucky. 20 years, which is a long time on the, on the international scene, like I said earlier, you know, when you're only doing maximum probably 10 games a year, uh, over the pro league now, maybe the guys are doing quite a few more. It's, it's equally taxing on them if they are doing more because they're traveling to different parts of the world for a weekend, literally. So 20 years, uh, 10 games a year is a little bit uh, difficult. And, and I think, to really highlight, you've got to be on top of your game every single game. You know, the team's having a bad day at the office or bad day at work or at home. It's not impossible. And uh, to do it for, like I said, for one game or 200, uh, it does take a it, it is taxing. John, I asked you about your favorite Olympics. Now, got to move on to your favorite travel destination. Now, firstly... Do you know the number in terms of countries you've seen? And, yeah, secondly, which is the best of the best? I don't know. I can tell you the ones I haven't been to, um, <laughs> which, is, which is maybe a little bit easier. Um, but I've been, I was very fortunate to travel to places I would never, ever get the opportunity to, to travel to. I enjoyed India a lot. I, I traveled to Malaysia quite a few times. Um, yeah, there was, uh, the Netherlands, I think, for me is... is or was the most enjoyable. And yeah, that's, uh, I mean, Ty and I speak about it often on the show, about uh, how much we enjoy traveling. Um, I'm sure that must be one of the the big things that you miss uh, in retirement. And um, what else uh, do you you miss from the game, uh, having now put up your feet, so to speak? Yeah, well, (laughs) the the traveling, in in fact, I don't really miss, because I think we... (laughs) We did it so often. So it's nice to be able to spend time at home 
not sure if the wife uh, agrees with that, but um, it, I, I don't miss the, the traveling from that perspective. I don't miss having to be fit all the time. Um, since having retired, my knee, or knees have uh, given in a bit, so I'm not able to run, which in some ways is a good thing, otherwise not so good. So I do miss, I miss the social fitness side of it. I don't enjoy the, or didn't enjoy the, the required fitness levels that we had to try and achieve um, from an international umpiring perspective. So, yeah, those are some of the things maybe I miss. I miss uh, not, not seeing some of the, my co-umpires around the world. I mean, you do see each other on social media and things like that. It's not quite the same as, as being face-to-face and, uh, and chatting to them and joking with them. I think that's one of the things from an umpiring perspective, and I know Peter mentioned it, that if you have a sense of humor, I don't think you should play the game because you're going to come unstuck and you're going to come short. Um, if you're going to waltz around with a stern face the whole time. I know I was stern a lot of the times on the field, but I think that was the facade that I used to put up uh, behind the scenes. It was maybe a lot more humorous than what it appeared to be. So, Ty alluded to it earlier in the show regarding your connection with cricket, and, and that's how our paths first crossed and continue to do so. In fact, we've never actually um, met up uh, in, a, in a non-cricketing context, <laughs> except for now. Mm. Um, yeah, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've played cricket, never ever great cricket. Uh, I'll confess that right up front. Um, so... When I when I started my, my work at Swanee University, which is about twenty seven years ago, um, I took over the position from from Garth Proudfoot, who in fact was also an international umpire and uh, a club cricketer, old boy, and he was director of sport at the then Technicompetitoria. So I took over his his job, and um, cricket and hockey were my sports. And obviously through that, I got involved in in cricket administration. In 2006, I was elected onto the Northern's Cricket uh, Board or Executive Committee, and it evolved from that. And, and the day that I was elected as the president of Northern's Cricket came totally, um, totally unexpectedly. I was overseas at a, at a hockey tournament, and I got a message from our club chairman to say, congratulations, you've been elected as president. I said, what? That cannot be. I mean, I was expecting to do another year or two under the then uh, President Vincent Sinovich, and to learn a lot because he's uh, a seasoned uh, sport administrator and president and, and businessman. And I was looking forward to learning a lot more uh, from him. But anyway, I was thrown into the, into the deep end, arrived back, and, and Jacques Fall had just been appointed as the CEO of, of uh, Northerns and Titans Cricket. So I was fortunate enough to get going uh, in the presidency under Jacques or with Jacques, should I say, and, and it was a fantastic five years, one that I'll never, ever, um, you know, look back on and say, why didn't I do this one? We had a fantastic time for and Titans. We won many trophies. We were very successful. And, uh, look, I credit a lot of that to Jacques and, and his leadership and management skills and just the way he goes about doing things. But it was a fantastic time for me. And one that will learn a hell of a lot about cricket administration. Yeah, he's a magnificent man. I, I spent a lot of time with him and obviously with the Titans. And, and I think CSA on very, very, well, I know CSA on very, very good hands. We know that the tumultuous period they underwent uh, very, very recently. But yeah, they couldn't have uh, wished for a, a better man at the helm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
he's, in my opinion, the number one uh, sport CEO in the country. And uh, if anyone is going to try and rescue and save uh, cricket in South Africa, it can only be Jacques. So I hope the powers that be um, stay level-headed and, and appoint him uh, in due course. Uh, because, like I say, and you say as well, cricket is in, in some serious trouble at the moment. And Jacques is the one that's got to transport it out. Well, you, you speak about cricket being in trouble, John. But, you know, hockey itself is, is uh, in a challenge itself. Uh it always has been with finance and sponsors. Uh, and many questions or many people have put your name forward as someone who, who could help solve SA Hockey's problem. Um, is that something you see yourself getting involved in from an administration point of view, potentially a, a, a future SA Hockey board member president or something like that? Look, I've learned a hell of a lot from, from cricket. Um, so I think that stands me in, in good stead. Whether I'd want to be the president or on the board or whatever, I don't know. I think I think cricket, uh, hockey, should I say, needs to press the reset button. And and hockey people need to start supporting hockey. We we the quickest ones to chirp from the sideline about how bad everything is, but we we fail to understand how good the game is to all of us. Um, I don't think there's a more sociable game. There's there's a, a, it's very competitive on the field and incredibly sociable off the field. It's one of the few sports that men and women can play as well as kids, boys and girls from the age of four or five years old right up to 70, 80 years old. There are not many sports that can offer that. So I think our potential, I think we need to unlock that potential. We have a lot of good products. We have a lot of good players. We have a lot of good coaches around. We just need to, to try and refine our skills a little bit and, and pull things in and make or get the, the, the events that should be generating us income and money to start doing so. Um, and, and, you know, they've got this, this animal that, uh, of the of PHL that I think has got a lot of potential. It's live on television. Um, you know, not many sports are live on TV nowadays. So hockey has got these, uh, these uh, events sitting in their bouquet. They've just got to utilize them more effectively. And hockey people have got to support hockey. And I'll tell you, I think they'll be on the right track. Oh, that's fantastic stuff. Um, in terms of uh, your your own provincial hockey allegiance, obviously, a Northern's Blues man. And I, I mean, I remember, and I'm going a long way back here, when I was umpiring, um, I, I did an umpiring course that uh, was run by Northern Blues. And, and you had the website uh, the Northern Blues website, and there was a, a section on it called Ask John, where people could write uh, a question about uh, a rules interpretation or something, and you answered it. Is that a part of the the game that you really enjoy, is teaching other people um, how to interpret or understanding? Is that something you'd like to do more of, potentially uh, um, more umpiring courses or coaching courses or anything like that? Well, Tyrone, from from a perspective, I mean, I've got 20 years of international experience. It's 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 my job and my responsibility to to part off some of that knowledge to up and coming umpires, the more experienced guys, or to anyone that wants to to learn and, and to become better. So, you know, that for me is is something that that is a, a no brainer. I mean, I've got to try and um, disperse some of that information and and try and make umpiring it and hopefully contribute to more international umpires, more guys umpiring finals and World Cups and Olympics and things like that. 
So absolutely, that's that's one way. Whether I'm going to be an umpire manager, I'm not so sure about. It's still that long and, and watch an umpire, and I can give them odd tidbits to to think about and and to to consider. Field for five days, twelve hours a day. I'm not so sure I'm cut out for that. Um, I, I'm, I'm showing a little bit of interest in the technical side, um, you know, from from table and tournament management perspective. We'll see where that goes. Um, it's also another area where South Africa has produced um, top-class uh, officials. So we'll see what happens. Um, but whoever wants to bounce questions off me, I'm, I'm more than willing to, to answer. I don't always give them the right answers, uh, but uh, <laughs> more than willing to part my knowledge. John, final one from me, and it's another favorite. We've spoken about your favorite tournaments, countries, etc. Is there? Can you recall a match where once that final whistle went from you, that you thought, "Hell, I got every single thing right," or that was my best ever? Sure, Derek. That, that is a difficult question, and and um, and I don't want to sound blasé or or blow my own whistle as it were, but I, I think there were times when, at the major events when I went, they, they, you know, in sports they talk about being in the bubble or being in the zone. I, I would, I felt as if I was in the zone, you know. Um, there were the, the World Cup final in in, in um, The Hague. I thought I was in the zone um, for a lot of that tournament. Um, and, and you come off and, and your feedback from the umpire managers or the videos that you end up watching, you can go through and you can feel, you get a sense of, I mean, I think the best person to, to evaluate your performance is, is you yourself. No one else needs to tell you how good or how bad you were. So I could go through tournaments and there were one or two things that I was maybe a little bit, uh, I could have done better. But uh, when I was in the zone and umpiring well and things like that, Rio I think was maybe another one. Um, where I can come off and I say the I feel that the the mistakes ratio is is relatively low and and definitely where I would like it to be um, umpiring those type of matches and and that kind of tournament. So yes, there were opportunity there were a time should I say when uh, I feel that that I was really in, in top top form and obviously there were times where it was the other side of the scale and London was case in point. It was an absolute horror for me. Um, yeah, I don't know if you remember, I was chased off the field by the Spanish. Um, yeah, so that, those are the two extremes, I suppose. Yeah, look, but the Spanish are never going to be very happy with everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. I'll reserve comment, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, you did mention young umpires, and, and I did make Peter answer this question. Um and uh, that that question is, I mean, obviously we know Michelle Yubé uh, is still at the top. We know Peter is still at the top for a little while left. Uh, well, he still can be. Um, but who, in your opinion, is South Africa's next umpire that's going to break through and become a regular international, um, you know, or, or an Olympian? Yeah. Let's put it that way. Not just a yeah. regular international. So I think we've got a very good system in South Africa at the moment where I say very good and I'll put that in inverted commas because we've got some very good guys at the top of the system. Sean Rappaport is one of them. They're a very clever man um, and a very good umpire is doing well. Um, Darren Hubach is another one. 
Uh, his sister Kim played in the national side. He's a very good umpire. Um, and I think you've got to have your head screwed on if, if you want to really make it. You know, you can't rely on everyone else to make you fit or to be in the right headspace or whatever the case may be. So Darren and Sean are definitely up there with, with the best um, and, and can make it, in my opinion. They've still got age on their side, which is an important thing. From the female side, there are one or two ladies as well that are also starting to stand up and, and, and put their, their hands up. Zay Stratum is a very good up-and-coming uh, uh, umpire. It's going to be tough to fill Michelle's boots. Um, because, yeah. in my opinion, um, and it may be a biased opinion, but Michelle is is probably the best uh, female umpire on on the world circuit at the moment. And I won't say head and shoulders, but uh, maybe a head above the the rest. And if you look at her consistency over the number of years, that for me is is probably the the shining uh, element or highlight uh, from Michelle's perspective. And she's fit, incredibly fit, and and got a good sense of humor and a right uh, frame of mind. So I hope she continues. I know she's, she's spoken about retiring after, after uh, Tokyo, which will be concerning. But again, I, you know, going back to what I said, it takes its toll. I'm playing at that level, it takes its toll. And you can't do it forever. No, absolutely. Look, I, I spot and agree. Uh, Michelle is definitely in the, in, in the top two always. And in fact, for, for me, comfortably number one, in the world and it has been for a couple of years. I'll never forget uh, watching her come back home here and umpire in the men's tournaments um, and actually making a lot of our men look at their own games and think, sheesh, they need to up their levels. So fantastic, fantastic umpire. And, you know, again, another fantastic uh, export from Northern Gauteng hockey. Yeah, we, yeah we're very fortunate. And uh, it's big enough for good words about Michelle, but uh, yeah, we're very fortunate. And I don't know, I don't know, must be something what um, that we're able to produce good umpires. Um, so, uh, John, it's now time for you to take on the one mm-hmm. question quiz. It's uh, you know, Derek and I go on and on about quizzes because it is a passion for us, but over the course of Hockey the Podcast, uh, we're on episode I think 45 now. Um, we give every guest one question, and it either relates to your career or to something close to your name or something along that. Now, I do actually have a question on both of those. So for the first time ever, I'm going to let you choose. Do you want a question related to your name or a question related to your career? <laughs> uh, I, if, if you knew how well I did at school, you'd probably not ask me either of them. So, but I've done my career, I think. Please. All right, so John, in your career, your your first Olympic final was all the way back in two thousand and four, where Australia and Netherlands played each other in the final. In that final game, it went to extra time, and a certain player scored the tournament winning goal. Do you remember who the player is? Yeah. Hey, uh... I'm going to say Jamie Dwyer, but I'm not convinced by that. But I, uh, let me go with Jamie Dwyer. Jamie Dwyer. So uh, Australia travel, trailed 1-0 to Ronald Brower. They leveled with Travis Brooks. And in the 78th minute, Jamie Dwyer scored the tournament winning goal. So, John, that was easy yeah. for you. Well done. Yeah, it's easy. But, uh, you know, uh, 
Guys, I don't remember what I did yesterday. So <laughs> to, to, to remember back to 2004 is not that easy, and especially from our <laughs> perspective. <laughs> you, you know, it's, well, funny. It's, it's funny, John, when we've been hosting these quizzes that we spoke about at the beginning of the show, and what, what has become abundantly apparent is how little we know because you always think yeah. you know everything. And then the more questions we come up with, people say, you know, how are you able to come up with more? It's because there is so much more out there that we simply don't know. And you're constantly Correct. learning. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, out of interest, the other question would have been, there is a cricketer, which I thought was, yes. was cool, named John Wright. Do you yes. have any idea what country he played for? He was a left-hand batter from New Zealand, opening batter from New Zealand. Oh, I tell you what, that would have been even easier for you. And uh, did, didn't he go on to be, he was a, a very good coach, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes he was a coach. I, I, I think yeah. he did. Yeah. I think it, my questions are a lot easier than Peter's, I have to say. So thank <laughs> nah, that's because I got in there before Derek this time. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, uh, John, from our side, thank you very much. Thank you for your your contribution to South African sport. Uh, umpires often go unnoticed or under the radar in terms of the praise they deserve, but uh, no, it's an absolute pleasure being able to follow your career. And, you know, for my own career in hockey, when I was umpiring and, and building my way up, I'll never forget the fact that you took time to answer my questions and, you know, whether they were in person or online. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. So uh, thank you very much for everything you've done for hockey in this country, John. No, th thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm the fortunate one because I'm, I'm the one that has uh, been able to get so much out of the game. It's a it's a great game, of, as I've said before. Um, I don't know you can ever not love hockey and, and in some ways try and contribute. And that's what I would like to try and do. Contribute and, and hopefully see hockey as a, as a the sport it deserves to be within our, within our country. But I think more importantly is, is to thank you guys for what you are doing uh, to keep hockey alive it's, it's things like this that we need more and more of. Um, so well done, Kit and, uh, and Tyrone, um, for what you have done. It's great listening to to other players or officials or whatever the case may be, and, and listening to their life experiences. Thank you. Uh, absolutely perfect. Uh, yeah. So uh, Derek, that was John Wright, probably the biggest name in South African hockey, alongside the likes of Peter Kutsia, Justin Reed, Ross. Austin Smith, and he was here for you on Hockey the Podcast. Yeah, what a legend. We keep on saying that at the end of every show, but again, it applies at the end of every show. And John, thank you very much for those very kind words, but I'll tell you what, the pleasure has been all ours. It's been a thrill uh, to have you on, and it's been uh, illuminating and informative listening to you. And uh, enjoy your days of retirement, but uh, I can uh, pretty much guarantee that uh, you won't have your feet up for very long I'm sure there are many other uh, endeavors that uh, you, you're casting your eye on already. Yep. Cheers. Thanks, Eric. Thanks very much. <laughs> thanks so much, John. And uh, yeah, thanks, Ty. That's uh, another one in the bag before uh, as we cruise along heading to that half century. Yeah, and obviously we have some great stuff planned for the 50, but uh, we'll keep that under wraps for now Ooh. because it's a lot of work for you. So, um, <laughs> yeah. We will uh, chat to you all again soon. Thanks for joining in. Check us out on all Raider media platforms. Uh, Hockey the Podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, iTunes. You name it, it's there. And if it's not there, we'll get it there. Can't wait. Cheers, Ty. Cheers. Cheers.